we begin with the praise of Allah and by asking Allah to exalt the mention and grant peace to our Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to his family and his companions. And also we'd like to start by wishing all of you a Ramadan which is Mubarak. Mubarakun alaykum al-shahr. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us all in it and to make us all from those who stand Ramadan and fast Ramadan imanan wahtisaba with iman and hoping in the reward of Allah Azza wa Jalla. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it possible for us to reach the Laylatul Qadr, which is within this blessed month of Ramadan, the most blessed night in the most blessed month. And we ask Allah to make it easy for us to reach that and for us to stand in prayer on that night, iman and wahtisaba, with iman and hoping in the reward of Allah Azza wa Jalla. In terms of the tafsir, there are a couple of points that we would like to make, inshaAllah ta'ala. The plan for the month of Ramadan, inshaAllah, is that Bulugh al-Maram will pause. We will pause the Bulugh al-Maram classes and we will do tafsir twice a week, inshaAllah. And the reason for that is that this is, generally speaking, the Salaf al-Salih, the righteous predecessors, they would give extra importance to the Qur'an in Ramadan. And some of them used to stop their classes of hadith and they would give all of their attention to the Qur'an. So what we would like to do, inshaAllah, since the Bulugh al-Maram classes are ongoing regularly, and there's no particular need for us to rush through them in the month of Ramadan because we're still you know, ongoing. There's not a particular topic that we're trying to reach or a particular deadline that we're trying to make. So for that reason, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to pause the Bulugh al-Maram classes and we're going to do tafsir twice a week, inshallah ta'ala. The tafsir that we have for today is the tafsir of Surah Al-Alaq. And this uh, surah, it has three names, two which are very famous and one which is less well-known. As for the two that are very famous, of course, it is known as Surah Al-Alaq, the Surah of the Alaq, of the blood clot. And that's what, as Allah told us in the Surah, that Allah created mankind from the clot of blood. We're going to speak about that when we come to Tafsir of the Ayah. And it's also very famously known as Surat Iqra, the Surah with the title Iqra. It's also known as a third title, and this one is not so common as Surat Al-Qalam, because Allah Azza wa Jal said, الَّذِي عَلَّمَ بِالْقَلَمِ The one who taught with the pen, the Surah of the pen. But that's not very common that it's known by that name. Mostly it's known by the name Iqra or Surat Al-Alaq. And this surah is the very first thing that was revealed from the Qur'an. And the story of how this surah was revealed or what we would call the, the cause of revelation is one that I think almost all of us know but it's interesting and worthwhile to go over it. From the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, and the hadith is narrated in Al-Bukhari, Muslim, and others. And there are particular narrations, this particular narration that is mentioned here from within the tafsir of Ibn Kathir is from Muslim Imam Ahmad. 
But Aisha radiallahu anha, she said that revelation began to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam through true dreams in his sleep. So he would not see any dream except that that dream would come مثل فلك subh, like the breaking of the dawn, i.e. in its clarity. It would become so clear that the Prophet would see something in a dream and immediately that thing would happen. After that, when he would, awake, he would wake, it would happen and it would be clear. It wouldn't be something ambiguous or something that needs interpretation or it needs some thinking about, or did I see that or didn't I see it? It would come as clear as the breaking of the dawn. Then the Prophet ﷺ, he took to being alone. And he used to go to Hira. And he used to worship Allah Azza wa Jal there for many nights in a row. And then he would go back to Khadija radiallahu anha and he would take provisions for the following set of nights and then he would go back to Hira sallallahu alayhi wasallam and he would take to being alone and to worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by himself in the cave of Hira. Then one time when he was in the cave of Hira, the angel came to him, the angel Jibreel. And the angel Jibreel, فَقَالَ Iqra, He said, read. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ قَالَ فَقُلْتُ مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئِ He said, I am not able to read. And the statement, مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئِ I'm not able to read. It's not a statement of being unwilling to read. It's not that he said, Ma ana I'm not going to read. But Ma ana it means I'm not able to read because the Prophet وسلم, he was unable to read وسلم, and that was one of his signs, one of the signs of that was unique to him وسلم, within his prophethood is that he was the Prophet who was unable to read and write and perhaps we can come to this more in more detail when we talk about the qalam, how Allah Azza wa Jal taught with the pen. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Ma ana I'm not able to read. He said, الجهد. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, the angel took hold of me and he squeezed me. And here, فَغَطَّنِي is الضغط. Ashadid is that he squeezed him and he put a lot of pressure upon him until the Prophet couldn't bear it anymore. And al-jahd here it means al-mashaqqa. It was extremely tough for him and extremely difficult for him. Thumma arsalani. Then he let me go. Then he said, read. He said, read. The Prophet said, فَقُلْتُ مَا أَنَا بِقَارِ I'm not able to read. And then he said, فَغَطَّنِي الثَّانِيَ حَتَّى بَلَغَ مِنِّي الْجَهْدِ He said, then he grabbed hold of me and squeezed me again until I couldn't bear it anymore. ثُمَّ أَرْسَلَنِي Then he let me go. فَقَالَ قْرَأْ He said, read. So the Prophet said, فَقُلْتُ مَا أَنَا بِقَارِئِ He said, I'm not able to read. فَغَطَّنِ الثَّالِثَةِ 
the third time that he squeezed me until I couldn't bear it anymore. Then he let me go. Then he said, Until the end of the ayah, Then the Prophet came back. He went back home. And when he came to Khadija radiallahu anha, he said to her, Zemmiluni, Zemmiluni, cover me, cover me. And she covered him until the extreme state of of anxiety went from him. And then he said, Ya Khadija Mali, oh Khadija, what has happened to me? What's the matter with me? And he told her what happened. And he said, Qad khashitu ala nafsi. I became scared for myself. I thought that I was going to die and I became fearful for myself. And then Khadija, she said, Kalla. She said, no. She said, Abshir, take glad tidings. For wallahi, she said, for by Allah. She said, for by Allah, la yukhzikallahu abada. Allah will never ever disgrace you. Allah will never cause anything bad to happen to you. rahim. You keep ties with your family. And then he, she said, And you're truthful in what you say. And you look after the weak and the orphans and the needy. And you take care of your guests. And you help people and you and you support or you and you support the truth then Khadija she took him until she came to a cousin of hers Waraka ibn Nawfal and Waraka ibn Nawfal he was the cousin the paternal cousin of Khadija radiallahu anha and he had become a Christian in Jahiliyyah He'd become وَقَدْ تَنَصَّرَ فِي الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ He had accepted Christianity in the time of Jahiliyyah. And he was an old man who had become blind. So Khadija, she came to him and she said to him, Oh my cousin, listen to what your nephew has to say. And then he said, Ibn Akhi, مَا تَرَى He said, Oh my nephew, what is it that you see? So the Prophet ﷺ told him what he saw. So Waraka said, he said, This was the angel that was sent down to Musa. And then he said, I wish that I had strength. He said, and that I would live to see your people throw you out. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, Are they going to throw me out? Are they going to cast me out? So Waraka said, Naam, Lam yati rajulun qat bima jita bihi illa udi. He said, There is no man who came with anything like you have come with except that their people showed enmity towards him. He said, وَإِن يُدْرِكَنِي يَوْمُكْ أَنْصُرُكَ نَصْرًا مُعَزَّرًا 
He said that if your day comes and I am still alive, I will support you with a great support. I will give you my complete support. And Waraka, he didn't last very long before he passed away. Radiallahu anhu arda. He passed away. And he was not, he passed away before the Prophet was commanded to invite the people to Islam. And so he was considered, he was not considered to be among the among the Sahaba radiallahu anhum as a Sahabi, as a companion, because he passed away before the Prophet was commanded to tell the people to accept Islam. However, uh, there are some narrations which indicate that Allah accepted this intention from him uh, in the sense that he intended and he said that if the day comes, your day comes, I, the day comes when you preach to the people, I will support you. But he passed away before that opportunity came for him. Rahimahullahu ta'ala. Then the revelation was, it stopped. And that's why in the narration it mentions, the revelation it stopped for a while and the Prophet became anxious now up to here the narration is in agreement with what is narrated in Bukhari and Muslim as for the narration in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad which adds that the Prophet tried to kill himself by throwing himself from the mountain because the revelation stopped and he became so anxious that he would go to the top of the mountain and he would think about killing himself and then Jibreel would come to him and he would settle and then he would go again. But all of this is narrated in the, in the ahadith outside of the Sahihain and it appears that it is not authentic and Allah knows best. And that's because it is from the uh, marasil of Az-Zuhri, rahimahullah ta'ala, because Az-Zuhri he said, Fima balagana that it has reached us. He, he stopped the hadith. The hadith is there from Aisha. Then he said, it also reached me. I was told by some, someone else. And he doesn't mention who told him. He said, I was told by someone else that the Prophet ﷺ became uh, sad until he would come and he became anxious until he would go to the top of the mountain and so on. So we don't find that this hadith to be authentic and Allah knows best. But the authentic part is up to the part of the revelation stopping and then the revelation when it started again when he saw Jibreel the second time and the revelation came again what was the surah that was revealed when the revelation came again because Iqra wasn't revealed completely to the end Iqra was revealed up to what was revealed after that have a think do you know what was revealed after that is Surah Al-Muddathir. Surah Al-Muddathir. And once Surah Al-Muddathir came to the Prophet ﷺ, the revelation came repeated again and again. It came that it was, it was constant after that. So Iqra was the first part of the Qur'an to be revealed. And then up to And then the revelation stopped and there was a break. And in that time, that was a great test for the Prophet And then again, he saw Jibreel and the revelation continued from Surah Al-Muddathir. And that perhaps explains 
the hadith of Jabir an, in which he indicates that the first surah to be revealed from the Quran is Surah Al-Muddathir. So how do we understand this? Was the first surah Surah Iqra or was it Surah Al-Muddathir? Which one came first? If you look at the hadith of Jabir, you actually say that Jabir refers to what happened in the cave of Hira. He refers to the fact that Surah Al-Muddathir, when it came, it came after the Prophet had already seen the angel Jibreel in the cave of Hira. And that would appear to me that the hadith of Jabir, what it refers to, and this is the statement of some of the scholars, that the hadith of Jabir, what it refers to is that Surah Al-Muddathir was the first surah to be sent down after that break, after that break. In other words, if you consider that the Qur'an came continuously to the Prophet after Surah Al-Muddathir. But as for Surah Iqra, it was by itself and there was a break from the beginning of Surah Iqra. There was that break in the revelation. And then when the revelation started again, the first Surah was Surah Al-Muddathir. And this appears to be the best way to join between the evidences about which the first uh, Surah was to be revealed from the Qur'an. And the majority of the scholars they said the first part of the Qur'an to be revealed mutlaqan in an absolute sense was Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq khalaq al-insana min alaq Iqra' wa rabbuka al-akram alladhi allama bil-qalam allama al-insana ma lam ya'lam They said that this is the very first part of the Qur'an that was revealed and then everything after that it came continuously from Surah Al-Muddathir. So there is no doubt whatsoever that this surah is was revealed in the time of Makkah in the Makkan period uh, in which the Prophet was in Makkah and indeed it was the first part of the Quran to be revealed and that's why some of the scholars they said that the Prophet became a prophet with Iqra and he became a messenger with Al-Muddathir what does that mean? what does it mean that he became a prophet with Iqra and he became a messenger with Al-Muddathir. A prophet here, it, it, there is a lot of difference among the scholars about the difference between a prophet and a messenger. But if we take the opinion that a prophet is the one who receives revelation from Allah and when they become a messenger is when Allah commands them to convey and to call people to accept that message. That's one of the opinions, one of the many opinions. Then the Prophet ﷺ, the first time he received revelation was Iqra. But that revelation didn't command him to go out and preach to anyone. He received it for himself and so he became by that revelation a Nabi. But when he became a Rasul that was sent to convey a message was when Allah revealed Surah Al-Muddathir. That's according to the opinion that of the difference between the Nabi and the Rasul being that the Nabi is the one that receives revelation generally speaking and the Rasul is the one that is commanded to preach it to the people and to invite the people to accept it. And that is one of the many opinions about the difference between the Nabi and the Rasul. But here the main concept is that the Prophet received revelation with Iqra but he didn't receive a command to preach it until Surah Al-Muddathir. Allah Azza wa Jal began Iqra Bismi So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Iqra 
So how can the Prophet be told Iqra when he said Ma ana I'm not a person who is able to read. Because here the word Iqra, it means Iqra ma yuha ilayk. Read what has been revealed to you. I.e. that Allah revealed the Quran to the Prophet and the Prophet's command was to read what Allah had revealed to him. And not the general ruling of reading something where the Prophet said, I'm not able to read. Rather to read what Allah revealed to the Prophet. As for the ba, iqra bismi rabbik. The ba here, the scholars have different opinions about it. It's the same opinions they have about Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Um, from among the most famous of the opinions is that the ba is al isti'ana. And that means it is ba al isti'ana, meaning I seek. Allah's help. Iqra bismi rabbik. Read seeking the help of Allah by mentioning his names. That is one opinion. Read seeking the help of Allah by mentioning his names. Allah, your Lord who created you. That is, the, that is one of the opinions regarding the ba'iqra bismi rabbik. The second opinion is that it means beginning with. Iqra Bismi Rabbik, read beginning with the name of your Lord. Iqra, Bismi Rabbik, read beginning with the name of your Lord. And there are other opinions as well, from the opinions mentioned of the opinion of Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, when he said, Iqra, Bidhikri Rabbik. He said, read or recite by remembering your Lord, by making dhikr of your Lord. Iqra bismi rabbik. Read in the name. And here, ism here is general. It means all of the names of, of Allah Azza wa Jal. As he said in Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. That seeking the help of all of the names of Allah Azza wa Jal. Read with the names of your Lord. I read seeking Allah's help or read beginning with the names of your Lord. Iqra bismi rabbik. Alladhi khalaq. The one who created you. And here, Allah Azza wa Jal, generally when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about aspects of his rububiyyah, so he speaks about his creation, and he speaks about how he taught mankind, what they didn't know, and he talks about how he created mankind from a alaq, then all of these things are aspects of the rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah's lordship, that Allah is the Rabb. And it goes with the name Rabb. Iqra' bismi rabbik alladhi khalaq, and so on. So it goes with the name Ar-Rabb, and that's why the name Ar-Rabb is mentioned in the ayah. Having said that though, what is the purpose behind that? Why mention the rububiyyah of Allah when the rububiyyah of Allah, the lordship of Allah, is not something which is in dispute, generally speaking. It's not something that there is a great deal of differing over or a great deal of dispute over, that Allah is the Lord, that Allah is the Creator. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in order to lead people to the worship of Allah alone, in order to, to draw people's attention to the blessings of Allah and that those blessings deserve praise. And that's why Allah later on uh, in the surah talks about the one who istaghna, istaghna. He considers himself to 
be free of needing Allah. He doesn't think that he needs Allah. He sees himself that he's, he's sufficient. He doesn't need Allah. And that is related to the first part. That Allah is your Lord. Allah is your creator. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought you from an alaq. From a tiny clot of blood. All the way until the point where Allah taught you so many things that benefited you. And things that you didn't know. And then the person after that. To yatra, to show transgression, and then to consider that he doesn't need Allah, and then to prevent the Prophet ﷺ from praying at the Kaaba. All of these things are related to the beginning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your Lord who created you, He is the one that is deserving of worship and showing the contrast with those people. Among them, the example given is the example of Abu Jahl. But it applies to everybody, those people who consider they, that they don't need their creator or consider that they are above needing to worship their creator. And then they oppress others and then perhaps they even go to the level where they stop people from accepting Islam even though Allah created them and brought them from an alaq, from a clot of blood and then taught them everything that they knew and taught them what they, what they didn't know before and that's the contrast between the two parts of the surah. So it talks about the need to praise Allah and to worship Allah who created you. And that's why at the end of the surah, كَلَّا لَا تُطِعْهُ وَاسْجُدْ وَاقْتَرِبْ No, do not obey him and make sajda. Some of the scholars said it means and pray. وَاقْتَرِبْ And come near to Allah. Come near to Allah. وَاسْجُدْ وَاقْتَرِبْ Pray, make sajda. And come near to Allah. Who is the one who created you from an alaq and the one who taught you what you didn't know? So whenever we have a rububiyah mentioned in the Qur'an, the, the Lordship of Allah, that Allah created and so on, all of that is to lead you to worshipping Allah. All of that is to lead you, kalla la tuti'hu wasjud waqtarib. That's to lead you to that point. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq Allah said, read in the name of your Lord who created. Created man from an alaq. Now here there are two types of creation mentioned. There's a general uh, discussion of creation or a general mention of creation. Rabbik alladhi khalaq. Iqra bismi rabbik alladhi khalaq. Your Lord who created. Meaning khalaqa kulla shay. He created everything. Then Allah Azza wa specifically after mentioning the general creation that Allah created everything. Khaliqu kulli shay. The creator of everything. Then Allah specifically mentioned the creation of mankind. Why is it that Allah Azza wa specifically mentioned the creation of mankind? What is it that brings us to this topic? As we said, Later on in the surah, Allah talks about the oppression of individuals from mankind and how much pride they had and how haughty they had and how they were trying to be above others and how they tried to stop the people from worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the example here is the example of Abu Jahl with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa So it, may, it makes sense to mention the creation of mankind specifically. After mentioning that Allah is the one who created everything, then Allah specifically mentions the creation of mankind. And that's in contrast to what is mentioned at the end of the surah. How can you not worship your Lord when he is the one who 
created you. And also there is a benefit here, which is that it shows the weakness of mankind. And it shows the insignificance and the fact that in comparison to uh, the creation of Allah and how Allah SWT has created everything in the heavens and the earth, Allah created mankind from an alaq, from an alaq, and alaq is the plural of alaqa, which is a, a clot or a drop of blood. And that is the second stage in the creation of man. In other uh, ayat of the Quran, Allah mentions the creation from a nutfa, from the drop, the drop uh, of semen. Allah mentions the creation from a drop. The next stage after the drop is the alaqa. The alaqa, the clot of blood. And that's the first sort of transition that a human being makes towards becoming a person and being born. The first transition is the transition from the nutfa, from the drop, to the clot of blood. That's the first transition that the human being makes. And that Allah created from the alaq. And Allah sometimes mentions the creation of man from its origin from its origin, which is the creation of man from uh, clay or from turab, from dirt and dust and the, di the dirt of the earth, the dust of the earth, the, the, the earth that Allah created mankind from and the water and the clay. So sometimes Allah mentions the origin of mankind in terms of their creation and sometimes he mentions the creation of mankind in terms of uh, after that origin, yani the, the, the process of uh, human beings, how human beings are born uh, after the original creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created from al-teen, created from the clay and from the turab. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the alaq to show the insignificance of those people who think themselves to be above needing Allah. And then they call, they prevent the, the worshippers of Allah from worshipping and they cause, they push people away from the religion of Allah Even though Abu Jahl who did that to the Prophet wasallam, he came from an alaq. So what right does he have to show that pride and that rebellious or that rebellion or rebellious nature against Allah when he came from an alaq? He came from a drop or a clot of blood. Also the alaq, one of the things that the alaq shows us is it shows us the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bring Bani Adam from an alaq, to bring all of the children of Adam, to bring them out from an alaq, from clots of blood, from clots of blood. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the beginning of the transition from the alaqa to the mudga to the chewed lump and then from the mudra onwards, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the bones and Allah, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fashions the human being and gives it its skeleton and its skin and so on. And then the, the child that is born and how after Allah blessed the person with that, how they become ungrateful and how they turn away and how they turn against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Read, and again the command is repeated. And your Lord is Al-Akram. Your Lord is Al-Akram. And Al-Akram, 
uh, I'm going to quote to you what Imam Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala he said regarding this. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala he said, then Allah repeated the command to read, telling about himself that he is al-Akram. And this is on the pattern af'al from al-Karam, meaning the most, the one who has the most karam, the most generous. And that is al-Karam, it is kathratul khair, it is having the, the most good. And there is no one more deserving of this than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For every kind of good is in his hands. And every kind of good comes from him. And all of the blessings, Allah is the one who gives them. And perfection, all of it. And all honor is for Allah. So he is truly al-Akram. He is al-Akram haqqa. That's a beautiful quote from Imam Ibn al-Qayyim about the meaning of al-Akram. Iqra' wa rabbuka al-Akram. Al-ladhi allama bil-qalam. The one who taught with the pen. Now why is it that Allah here mentions the pen? What's the significance of teaching with the pen? Here the scholars talk about this, the beginning of the surah being in relation to the blessings of Allah the creation of man, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought man from the alaq, from the clot of blood, and how Allah is al-akram, the one who all of the blessings and all of the good uh, comes from him subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Allah mentioned another one of his blessings, which is al-qalam, that Allah taught people and allowed people to write. And writing ultimately is how so much of the things that we need and the things that we learn have been preserved. And here the scholars, they talk about the blessings of or of Allah having allowed us to be able to write. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of these different sciences and all of the knowledge that we have and the essential things that we have, the only way that we have been able to protect those things is through al-qalam, through writing and preserving, for example, history, preserving knowledge, things like medicine and the, even the, the, the scriptures of the, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down and even though we're going to talk about how the Qur'an is different in that sense. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, gave a great blessing to mankind through the pen and being allowing the people to be able to write and to record the knowledge that they are given by Allah Azza wa Jal and that knowledge and that knowledge itself also has its own uh, benefit in it that knowledge that Allah Azza wa Jal uh, taught and that knowledge itself that Allah Azza wa Jal taught is itself a great blessing and it's one of the things that distinguishes Adam and his children from all of the other people and all of the other creation. And for example, we're told about how Adam was distinguished from the angels by the knowledge that Allah taught him. That when Allah Azza wa Jal taught Adam the names of everything, 
Then Elijah showed these things to the angels and said, inform me of the names of these things if you are really truthful. They said, glory and ex- to you and exalted are you. We have no knowledge except that which you taught us. You are Al-Alim Al-Hakim. Then Allah told Adam to teach the angels the names of those things or to, to, uh, to recount the names of those things before the angels. And Adam was able to recount the names of all of those things from the angels from what Allah had taught, it, had taught him. So here what we see is we see that the teaching of Allah is something that uh, it distinguished Bani Adam and it's from the karam. Which, about which Allah said, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ We have certainly honoured the children of Adam. And that goes with the name of Allah Al-Akram. So there's a link there. Allah told us that he is Al-Akram. And from the karam of Allah وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ We have certainly honoured the children of Adam. And, and one of the ways that Allah honoured the children of Adam is that he taught us and he gave us the ability to learn and one of the ways that that is uh, carried out and one of the most profound uh, and the, the most powerful ways that is carried out is with the pen. Some of the scholars of tafsir here, they mentioned that the first time that Allah talks about teaching the surah like creation, it's general. Uh, Allah said, The one who taught with the pen. And Allah didn't mention mankind and didn't mention any or di- didn't mention the angels or mankind so it covers all just like when Allah said iqra bismi khalaq the creation here was general then Allah mentioned the creation of mankind khalaq al-insana min alaq he created man from the clot then Allah mentioned about teaching generally how Allah taught all of creation what it is that they need and then Allah specifically mentioned what he taught Bani Adam. He taught man what he didn't know. And that's because when you were born, when you went through that phase, you went from the nutfa to the alaqa to the mudgha and so on. And then when the person was born, that person who was born, they came out of the womb of their mother. You, don't, you didn't know anything at all. You didn't know anything. And Allah taught you Allah taught you what you didn't know. And then, and I think this is really important, look at the situation of those people who turn away from Allah after Allah created them, after Allah brought them from that clot of blood to be a human being, to give them a shape and a form, they were born, they didn't know anything. And Allah taught them everything they needed to know. Allah taught them everything. And then after that, they claimed that they didn't need Allah. And they turned away from Allah. And some of them denied uh, Allah. And some of them refused to worship Allah and so on. Then Allah said, Kalla. And Kalla here, it has two different meanings. We mentioned one of them already in our tafsir classes. That kella, it, it was used for a zajr. It's used to say, no, it's not like that. No, it's not like that. No, it's not like that. But here, it doesn't make sense. Or at least there are different opinions among the scholars here. That it, it seems to be, it's difficult to see how this word kella in this situation, it means 
No, it's not like that. Because all of the things that Allah mentioned before that are true. Iqra, bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq, khalaq al-insana min alaq, iqra wa rabbuka al-akram, alladhi allama bil-qalam, allama al-insana ma lam ya'lam. Kalla. The kalla here is not, it doesn't mean that what Allah said before is not true. But rather what it means is haqqa, certainly. Kalla, certainly. Certainly, man transgresses. And yatgha here is from tughyan, which is to go beyond the boundaries and to go beyond the limits. Man goes beyond the limits. Why does man, or what causes man to go beyond the limits? That he sees himself that he doesn't need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is one of the worst things that can happen or that one of the worst characteristics that a person can have is that they see that they, they have istighna. They see themselves that they are not in need of Allah or they see themselves that they everything came from them it's it's all from their own hard work and they don't attribute those blessings that Allah mentioned the blessing of reading the blessing of knowledge the blessing of being taught with the pen the blessing of being created the blessing of the different phases in the creation of mankind and then Allah after mentioning all of those things talks about the person who doesn't attribute those blessings to Allah doesn't uh Act upon those blessings that Allah has given in the right way. And this istighna, this feeling that you don't need Allah or seeing that you are uh, feeling yourself to be self-sufficient is mentioned elsewhere in the Quran as well. As for the one who is stingy and sees himself to be self-sufficient, that he doesn't need Allah. And he denies al-husna, that said he denies Islam, or he denies la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, or he denies the recompense of, uh, of paradise and the hellfire. He denies al-husna. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring him to difficulty. So this is one of the ayat that also mentions a person who sees themselves that they don't need Allah and they say, for example, like the statement of Qarun, All of this that I got, I got it from myself. And this is very, very profound when you link it to the statement of Allah Allah taught man what he didn't know. Allah taught man what he didn't know. And then man says, I was only given this because of my own knowledge. The reason I'm wealthy is because I'm really clever and I'm really smart and I've done loads of hard work and the reason that I have this knowledge is because I worked so hard and I'm so clever. And The person denies or, or forgets that these blessings came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is the one that taught them. Allah is the one that created them. And yet the person turns around and says, I don't need that. I was given this because of knowledge that I get, got for myself. And they don't attribute that knowledge and that, that it came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
inna ila rabbika ruj'a but to your lord will be the return to your lord will be the return and allah azza mentions this as a threat of punishment and a wake up call for those people who believe themselves to be self sufficient in that way and they see themselves that they don't need to worship allah ar-ra'ahu istaghna they see themselves and that's what ar-ra'ahu means he sees himself ar-ra'ahu istaghna he sees himself that he is not in need he sees himself that he's not in need and then allah says but you will be returned to allah inna ila rabbika ar-ruj'a to your lord will be the return and you will be asked about that knowledge and what you did with it and you will be asked about that wealth and what you earned it from and what you spent what you earned it from and what you spent it in all of those things you will be asked about inna ila rabbika ar-ruj'a you will certainly be asked about that when you return to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this here tell, takes us to a point which is very very uh, a vital point really and that is the point of showing your need before allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this issue of al-iftiqar uh, showing yourself to be in need of allah and what some of the scholars call al-inkisar showing yourself to be broken before allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how much you need allah that's the contrast between the believer and between the disbeliever What's the situation of the disbeliever? When you look at the disbeliever, what's their hal? What's their situation? He sees himself that I don't need. I don't need to worship Allah. Why should I worship Allah? I've got everything I need right here. But when you see the believer, the believer sees their need of Allah and recognizes their desperate need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Antumul ilallah. Wallahu huwal ghaniyul hamid. You are the people who are in desperate need of Allah. And Allah is Al-Ghani, Al-Hamid, the one who is rich and free of all need and the one who is worthy of all praise. Allah is free of all need. Allah is worthy of all praise. And that's the reality. Anyone who says that they are Ghani, that, they, that I'm not in need of, of Allah and I'm not in need of, and like the, the, some of the Yahud when, when they made that statement and they said, and they said Allah is poor and we are rich. They said this statement that Allah is poor and we are rich. Why does Allah require us to give charity? He said that Allah is poor and we are rich. And yet the Muslim is the one, that's the situation of the disbeliever. But as for the situation of the Muslim, they realize their desperate need of Allah and they realize that Allah is Al-Ghaniul Hamid, the one who is completely free of all need and worthy of all praise. And the word ghani, the word being rich and free of need, that is truly applicable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as for mankind, however rich an individual might become in terms of wealth, he's still faqir. He's still in desperate need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm going to quote you now from Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala. It's a beautiful statement that he has. He said, these ayat, despite their brevity, and along with the fact that they are very, you know, they're, they're very summarized in nature and extremely eloquent, they indicate the different stages in existence, in all the, all the different stages of existence that are attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in terms of Allah's creation and Allah's ta'aleem. And Allah mentioned two 
aspects of creation and two aspects of teaching. An aspect of creation which is general and a creation which is specific. And a teaching which is specific and a teaching which is general. And Allah mentioned from his attributes the name Al-Akram, the one that is the source of every good and every perfection. So Allah has every perfection as a description and every good as an action. So he is Al-Akram in himself and in his attributes and in his actions. And this creation and teaching, it came from Allah's karam, from Allah's generosity and from Allah's ihsan, from Allah's bir and ihsan, from the goodness that Allah did towards his creation and from the excellence that Allah had towards his creation, not from the need of Allah for that because he is Al-Ghaniyul Hamid. And that's why I brought this statement here of Ibn Qayyim, because Allah contrasts himself with his creation. Allah didn't, doesn't need his creation. All of those blessings, and that person who turned around and said that I have no need of Allah, all of those blessings, Allah had no need for giving those blessings, no need for creation, creating creation. No need for teaching them what he taught them. Allah had no need because he is Al-Ghaniyul Hamid. But the one who has need is his creation who has a need of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from this we can also see that Al-Istighna, that seeing yourself to be free or of need and not seeing yourself to need Allah, it is the cause of every destruction. It's the cause of every halak, every destruction and every evil. The cause of it is this concept of self-sufficiency that I don't need Allah and I don't need to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from this is actually relating to that statement of Ibn al-Qayyim. From this we can also take this issue where people turn and say, why should I worship Allah? Does he need me to worship him? Where you hear from atheists, they say things like that. Why do I, why should I worship Allah? Does Allah need me to worship him? That's a kind of istighna. It's a kind of a person's turning away from Allah and saying, I don't need Allah. You know, why, why should I, why should I worship Allah? But ultimately, the Muslim realizes their desperate need to worship Allah Azza wa Jal. Then Allah Azza wa Jal went on to tell us, and this is, this, these two ayat were general. Uh, about all talks about a, a group of mankind, not one specific person. Generally about mankind, that group of people among mankind who see themselves to be self-sufficient and think that they don't need Allah and then they oppress and they go beyond the boundaries. They have that. They go beyond the limits and the boundaries. But then Allah gave a specific example and spoke specifically about one among them, and that is Abu Jahl. Have you seen the one who prohibits a servant of Allah from praying? Here, this is a specific, this ayah, it was revealed about Abu Jahl. But this ayah is also general 
in the sense that the same punishment and the same threat can be applied to anyone who prohibits the servants of Allah from worshipping Allah. And in reality, there are four, four kinds of people, ultimately, in, in terms of you can divide people into four kinds. There is someone who is a person of Iman, and they call the people to Iman, and they command what is good and they forbid what is evil. And they are the best of the people. You're the best nation that's ever been brought out for the people. You command what is good and you forbid what is evil and you believe in Allah. So there are a group of people who are from the best of the people. What they do, they, ha- they are people of Iman and they are people who command what is good and forbid what is evil. A level down from them, are a people who are a people of Iman, but they keep that to themselves. They, they limit it to themselves. So they don't necessarily go out and call people to the good, and they don't necessarily stop the people from doing evil, but they themselves apply it to themselves, even if they don't call it to or call other people. Then when we talk about the people who are evil, then there are two types. If we're going down again, there is the one who is upon misguidance, but they don't spread that misguidance to other people. They don't stop that, they don't share that misguidance, or they don't stop the people from being people of Iman. They themselves are misguided, but they don't stop the people from Iman. And then you have the worst category. This is the category that Abu Jahl falls under. And that is those people, or that are those people who are upon misguidance and they stop people from believing in Allah. They're the opposite of the one who is giving da'wah, the da'iyah. They're the opposite of the one giving da'wah. The one who's calling to Allah, calling to good, they're calling to evil. And that really is the difference between the shaitan and the general disbeliever. The general, When we say generally like a disbeliever, when we talk about what's the difference, who is the shaitan? The shaitan is the one that prevents the people from iman, or calls the people to misguidance. That's the shaitan. Versus the one who is upon misguidance, they're upon misguidance, upon misguidance, but they don't stop people from being Muslim, and they don't stop people from practicing Islam. And those are enough of a, there's enough evil in that, in a person rejecting Allah, turning away from Allah, disbelieving in Allah, that's enough of an evil. But more evil than that is the one who prevents the people from worshipping Allah like Abu Jahl did. And that's the one who really deserves the name Shaytan. And there are Shayateen, of course, from the men and from the jinn. Shayateen al-insi wal-jinn, as Allah has just told us in Surah Al-An'am. Do you see the one that prevents? Abadan idha salla. Prevents a person, a servant of Allah, who wishes to pray. And this is, there are various narrations about this. Uh, all of them are very similar that Abu Jahl, he said that when he sees the Prophet, next time that he sees the Prophet ﷺ pray, and when the Prophet ﷺ puts his face down for sajda, that Abu Jahl said, I'm going to put my foot on his neck and I'm going to stamp his face into the dirt. 
And that was not the only thing that Abu Jahl threatened to do and not the only thing that Abu Jahl did. Because Abu Jahl was from the worst of the enemies of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. أَرَأَيْتَ إِنْ كَانَ عَلَى الْهُدَى أَوْ أَمَرَ بِالتَّقْوَى Here, this is really interesting because here the ayah changes and stops talking about Abu Jahl and now goes on to talk about the Prophet ﷺ. So the first two were about Abu Jahl, the next two are about the Prophet ﷺ and then it goes back to Abu Jahl again. Have you seen the one that prevents a servant of Allah from praying? That's about Abu Jahl. This is about the Prophet Does he not see if this person that he's preventing from praying is upon huda, is upon guidance, and is commanding the people to have taqwa, commanding at taqwa, or amara bit taqwa. So the Prophet in his actions and in his statements were statements of guidance and statements of taqwa. What was he commanding the people to do? Was he commanding the people to gather around him? Was he commanding the people to give him wealth and status? He was commanding the people to have taqwa. How can you prevent a person from worshipping Allah when that person is upon guidance and that person is commanding the people to do good? So these two things are about the Prophet because the Prophet was upon guidance in his actions and his statements. And he was commanding the people to have taqwa, commanding the people to turn back and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And this goes back to Abu Jahl. Do you see if he denies and turns away? Does he not know that Allah sees him? Does he not know that Allah sees him? And this also leads us to a benefit as it relates to muraqabah, knowing that Allah sees you. And we know that's an, an element of ihsan. That you worship Allah as though you can see him and even though you can't see him, you know that he sees you. Look at the situation of Abu Jahl and his lack of muraqabah, his lack of care or concern that Allah sees him. Does he not know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees him? Does he not know that Allah sees what he does and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish him for his actions in this world and in the next? And we're going to hear about that in the subsequent ayahs. He disbelieved in Allah. He turned away from Allah. Does he not know that Allah sees him? Kalla. Kalla here is back to the normal meaning of kalla that we spoke about, which is a zajr. Like to say no, it's not like that. Kalla. Kalla. Like to say no. And because what Abu Jahl did is something which is evil and something which is wrong. Kalla. If he does not stop, and he does not stop in his harming of the Prophet وسلم, and the lamb here is lil qasam, that by Allah, in Allah swears, 
an oath that if he does not stop, لَنَسْفَعَمْ بِالنَّاصِيَةِ Sefer here, Nesfa'am, there are broadly two different opinions about it. One is that a sefer is a sawad, sawad fil waj. لَنَسْفَعَمْ بِالنَّاصِيَةِ We will blacken his nasiyah, we will make it dark. Yani in other words, on the day when the faces are bright and some faces are black. On the days when some faces are bright and some faces are black. Those whose faces are black, on that day they said that this is one of the meaning of a sefa'a. That we will make his face black. I we will single him out to be among the disbelievers. And the nasiyah is the uh, the uh, for the, the the front of the head. The nasiyah is the front of the head. So it said, nasiyah, We will make it black. We will make his face black. And we will blacken his face on the day when faces will be bright and faces will be black. And those uh, that will be like a sign of the disbelief and the sign of the punishment that is to come. And that was the opinion of Ibn Kathir. As for Ibn Jarir al-Tabari, rahimahumullah uh, ta'ala, Ibn Jarir, he took the meaning of sefa' from al-akhth, wa-tanawul, that al-akhth bi-quwa wa-shidda, that it means to, that Allah will seize him with might and power. And that lanasfa'an bin-nasiyah, it refers to the statement in Surah Al-Rahman, fayu'khadhu bin-nawasi wal-aqdam, that the disbelievers on that day, they will be seized by the nasiyah, the nawasi, the nasiyah, by the front of their head and by their feet. So they will be seized and thrown into Jahannam by the front of their head and by their feet, by their nasiyah and by their, by their feet. And so Ibn Jarir, he took this from Surah Rahman and he understood the same thing here. We will seize him by the front of his head. A nausea, which is kathiba, it is lying or disbelieving. And here, khati' is different from mukhti'. The word mukhti' means in error, from a khata'. Khati' means deliberately sinful. And that's what the difference between khati' and mukhti'. Akhta'a, uh, it's like he made a mistake. But khati here, it means deliberate. So that this nasiyah is kathiba khati'ah. It is lying, disbelieving, and it is khati'ah. It is sinful. Now here, there's a very important point that I would like to make. And I think that this is something where, I've spoken about it before, but I feel that a lot of people go astray in this issue. And especially the people involved in da'wah are those people, for example, who took this statement to say, and they made it from Al-Ijaz Al-Ilmi, from the amazing miracles of the Qur'an, that Allah told us that lying comes from the frontal part of the, the frontal lobe, the frontal part of the brain, and this is a miracle of the Qur'an and so on. Wallahi, I see that in the issue of Al-Ijaz Al-Ilmi fil Qur'an, miracles, scientific miracles in the Qur'an, Many, if not most of the people who spoke about them, they went beyond all of the limits of Allah. And they spoke about Allah without knowledge. And they made tafsir 
of ayat in a way that none of the Salaf al-Salih made tafsir of them. For Allah, I don't know, but I see in this situation, this is another example of this. Because there is no evidence here that Allah he said, or there is no meaning in the ayah that says that the nasiya, as in the front part of the brain, is the place where lying comes from. Rather, nasiyatin kathibatin khatiya is an Arabic expression which was known to the Arabs before the Quran was revealed and it was commonly in use among Arabs that they would say about a person, nasiyah. They would describe a person as nasiyah by the front of their head, meaning sahib and nasiyah, the person who is the one that, the one whose head it is. And this is a common Arabic expression. So whether science is correct in saying that uh, the person's lying comes from the front of the head, ultimately that actually doesn't make, that's not what the Quran is saying here. So that might be true. And, and I have no issue with that being true. It's not my area of expertise. And it doesn't concern me or worry me whether it's true or not that a person lies from the front of the head or not. But you can't say that Allah said that that's true. Because that's not what Allah said. Allah used an, a normal Arabic phrase to refer to a person. Nasiyatin kathibatin khatiya. Let him call his nadi. The nadi is the majlis. Let him call the majlis. Let him call the, the people around him, all those people that his supporters, the people that support him, the people who sit around him, you know, when he comes and he sits, and all those people are sat around him. Let him call his supporters. It's mentioned in some of the ahadith that he threatened to do this, that he threatened to call his supporters. That's mentioned in some of the narrations, that he threatened this. And it doesn't matter what the supporters, what form the supporters take, because in this day and age, the supporters may not be the people who sit around you in your living room, you know, like, but uh, in those days, there was like a majlis, an area where every town and every village, it would have a, a nadi. It would have a place where the people would gather together. And all those people who would gather together, they're all the people who supported each other. And so the people who would gather together around Abu Jahl, they are his nadi. Let him call all of his supporters. Zabaniya, they are the angels of punishment. Allah said, we will call upon the angels of punishment. And it's mentioned that this word, it comes from the word to mean that those who are severe in punishment. And Allah has said about the angels, غِلَاذٌ shidat عَلَيْهَا مَلَائِكَةٌ غِلَاذٌ shidat. Over the fire there are angels who are غِلَاذٌ shidat. They are غِلَاذٌ shidat. They are strong and they are severe. Then Allah said, كَلَّا لَا تُطِعْهُ وَاسْجُدْ وَاقْتَرِبْ No, rather, do not obey him. Do not obey him in what he prohibits you from doing. Don't stop praying because he uh, compels you or tries to force you to stop praying or threatens you. Don't stop praying. And that gives us the principle There is no obedience to creation in disobedience to the creator. 
waqtarib. Wasjud here, either it means sajda as in make sajda, or it means sajda as in pray, which comprises sajda. Wasjud waqtarib, and come near to Allah Azza wa Jal. And we know from the authentic hadith, aqrabu ma yakun al-abd ila rabbihi wa huwa sajid, the closest a person is to his Lord is when he is in sujood. So Allah Azza wa Jal commanded the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam not to obey Abu Jahl and commanded the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to uh, make sajda, to pray, to make sujood and commanded the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to come near to Allah Azza wa Jal through his prayer and through his sujood. And from this we can also take the benefit that, that the prayer is one of the major means for coming near to Allah Azza wa Jal, and also that this is an ayah in which there is sujood at-tilawah. There is sujood at-tilawah, meaning that when you have this ayah, it is mustahab, it's recommended for you to make sajda uh, when you hear this ayah, kalla la tuti'hu wasjud waqtarib. It's from the recommended acts to for a person when they hear this uh, ayah or they recite this ayah or they're listening to this ayah that they would make sujood kalla la tuti'hu wasjud waqtarib no do not obey him and make sajda or pray and come near to Allah azza wa jal that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made easy for me to mention and Allah azza wa jal knows best was salatu was salam ala nabina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in jazakumullah khairan for watching please subscribe share and you can visit muhammadtim.com